2: Welcome to the Monday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand on for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about things going on in your life, questions about church. Maybe something happened yesterday that you want some explanation on. All you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at six Three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa or you can use our free Calvary Chapel San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great day at church yesterday. We did. Um, hard message, but I think a good one. Uh, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, we have our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies, so you can make it a family affair. Um, here at 7 o'clock, ladies, you can watch Natasha Shank at 7 o'clock at CalvarySA.com online if you choose to do it that way. Boy, there's a lot going on. Uh, let me get right to questions while we await any phone calls. Um, this one is from Raymond. He said, Pastor, I know would one recognize that they're called to preach. Um, Raymond, I think this is an unmistakable call. I think if you've been called to be a pastor, uh, and I prefer that term, it's just the greatest job in the world. Pastors preach, uh, not all preachers pastor. And and I think you're missing out on the the most important part if all you're thinking about is preaching. But I, I think you would know it beyond any doubt. Uh, I remember the day I was called. It was like I, I can visualize it like it was yesterday. Uh, I was in a car. I was on the 57 freeway in Southern California. I was listening to uh, K-Wave radio. And uh, Raw Reese, who is now a friend of mine, uh, was uh, teaching on that radio program. And he was teaching out of Timothy, the pastoral epistles. And uh, we got to the part about the qualifications for a pastor. And and Raymond, it was like Jesus was sitting in the car with me. Uh, I'm only six months old in the Lord now. I'm only six months old in the Lord. And and it was unmistakable. And from that point forward, of course, it would be another four years before we actually came to Texas and started the church. But um, uh, it was just unmistakable. Uh, I think there are some other signs, Raymond. One is that you would have to love, and I mean really love God's Word. If you even think you're called to be a pastor, you ought to be devouring God's Word now every day. And when I say devouring it, I don't mean just reading a chapter, reading a morning devotion. I'm talking about really, really digging in. The Word should thrill you. It should excite you. Uh, It should start to make sense to you. You don't tell me how long you've been a a believer, but it should just make sense. And you ought then to be practicing what you read in your day-to-day life. And then I think if you're called to be a pastor, Raymond, it is such a wonderful calling. Um, I I just think you would know. Um, You ought to be teaching the Bible. Um, If you're married, teach your wife. If you don't have anybody else to uh, teach... Uh, teach your children, uh, get some neighbors round up and start a home Bible study. And they'll tell you, you'll see by the fruit that comes in their lives, whether or not you're really called to be a pastor, a preacher. And if you are, you'll see it and the feedback will be amazing. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to like you. That's not what I intend to communicate here. But but you'll you'll see that people are being changed by your faithfulness to teach the word of God. So Raymond, it's not a a place if you want attention it's not a a calling uh if you think well, finally, people will listen to me. I just think you you're gonna know beyond any shadow of a doubt, and um uh I just can't encourage you strongly enough uh best thing. Uh, outside of getting saved and outside of meeting Paula all those years ago. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Thank you for the question, Raymond. Let's go to Joshua on line one from Converse. Joshua, thank you for calling. You're on the air.
3: Hi, Pastor Ron.
2: How are you doing?
3: I'm doing good. Um, Good. So the last couple of weeks, you've been talking about sharing your faith with others. And um, as a nurse, uh, I share uh, I share with all my patients, especially those that I don't know if they're saved or not. Um, but one le- one area that I was convicted on in, in um, your sermons, listening to what you were you were teaching, is um, I don't really share with other believers, and so. You know, God's kind of convicting me that they, you know, I kind of robbed them of that blessing. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know what what the Lord's doing in my life, and so um, I wanted to tell you personally. Um, even the sermons you think are really boring, I I always get something <laughs> from the sermons, and I I never go up and tell you because I think, man, he's got to be busy or somebody's going to need to talk to him that maybe wants to get saved. Let's reserve him for somebody else. And so um, I wanted to let you know that, you know, God's convicted me on that. And uh, you, you'll mm-hmm. probably be hearing me a lot more than you have been.
2: <laughs> Josh, thank, thank you so much. You know, uh, you don't mind me sharing this with the audience. I know Josh is also called to be a pastor. And, um, the Lord has had you on my heart, and I, we haven't had the chance to communicate, but the Lord has had you in my heart, um, to make sure that, that you know I'm available to you, uh, anytime, uh, wh- whatever you need to help you fulfill the calling of God in your life and Josh regarding especially sharing with with people who are believers that ought to be the easiest thing because it's not so much you got to force a conversation about Jesus it's just that talking about Jesus ought to just naturally flow from your lips in yesterday's message i talked about Joshua uh, uh, not Joshua but uh, Jeremiah's struggle with, um, with 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 trying to hold the word in and he just couldn't keep it in and i think when you're with believers in particular uh your conversation should always and only really be about what God is doing in their life and and boy the 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 word spoke to me here and the word spoke to me there and uh and believe me God will open those um doors for you and and the edification will be intense so uh i'm i'm here for you Josh anything that we can do to help i want to i want to help you fulfill the calling that God has in your life Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, dear brother. I love you. God bless. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. You know, I hope this doesn't sound too sappy, but um, th- there's there's probably not much that is more thrilling for me than when people who uh, are in the church or have been listening to you teach the Bible uh, will come up and say, you know, Pastor, the, the Lord's called me to be a, a pastor. I know that's what I'm supposed to do now. Uh, that's thrilling for me. And uh, when Josh did that, and obviously we've planted a bunch of churches, so I've had a lot of people uh, in, with this experience. Uh, but but just to be privileged, to be in a position where I can help people answer the call of God in their lives, man, it's absolutely thrilling. It's thrilling. We've known Josh for a while. Uh, we've seen the change in his and Michelle's life and, and uh, boy, it's just really, really wonderful to see. Here's an anonymous question, Pastor. On if God is good, how can any of his followers be for the death penalty? And if God is good, why kill everybody in the Old Testament who opposed him? Uh, anonymous, the 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 preposition the if you need to you need you know God is good. So you need to. Think from his perspective rather than from your own or from that of the world. How can God be for the death penalty? Let me ask you a question. If God is just and if God is good, how can he not be for the death penalty? It was Genesis where he declared, if a man takes a life, his own life will be taken. That comes from the heart of God. Now, obviously, God is wonderful for grace and second chances, but the death penalty is a just penalty. When somebody... Willfully and intentionally. Now, remember, we're not talking for manslaughter or for accidental death. We're talking about somebody intentionally deprives somebody else of their life. They do it with premeditation. How can they not deserve the death penalty? What about the victim's family? What about justice for them? You see, God is good, and you're not thinking about the big picture. You're 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 thinking. Um only in terms of of emotions you know well, well, how could we kill anybody? It's a just penalty for somebody who murders with regard to your second question. Why kill everybody in the Old Testament who opposed him? That was justice and judgment. Remember, God is perfect, and he knows everything about everyone when somebody is judged by God, for example, in the the Canaan campaign. It was because the fullness of time had come. Their their sins were literally filled up. And God knew, having opposed God for so long, in some cases for more than 400 years, God gave them every opportunity to repent. He gave them every opportunity to follow him. They knew who he was, and they rejected him. And so it was time for judgment. Now let me take this one step farther, Anonymous. When we get to the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 19, Jesus, our Jesus, is going to kill everybody who opposes him, all of his enemies. When he comes back in the sky, we're going to be with him. He's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives, and he's going to destroy his enemies with the word. And the Bible says his robe is dipped in blood, the blood of those people that oppose him. So why kill everybody? Well, he killed everybody because they deserved it. Now, I know you're probably thinking, what about women and children? Well, the women were adults. They deserved it too. But children, here's where you've got to understand God's grace. The children that died are now in heaven with Jesus. They wouldn't have been had they been allowed to grow. They would have been just like their parents and just like all of the other Canaanites. They would have been people destined for judgment. So what God did, because of his mercy, he took them before they would pay an eternal price. That's a pretty good trade for me. So these are, and I don't know who you are, obviously you wrote it anonymously, but, but these are, are thoughtless questions, really. They're, they're sophomoric almost in their simplicity. So think bigger picture. Think about God's perspective. God loved you so much, Anonymous, that he sent his son to die for you. And he sent his son to die for you, even though you were an enemy of God. That demonstrated how much he loved you. Now, if you reject his son, then the only thing that's left is judgment. So what you need to do is be more honest in your perspective about God's justice and God's judgment. Judgment has to be real. hope that answers your question. Here is a question on this Monday from Teresa. She says, I won't attend a church. It forbids women in leadership. I don't understand why this bigotry is allowed to continue. Um, Teresa, how about this? How about the church belongs to Jesus? I don't think you'll disagree with that. And Jesus is the one that laid the ground rules for leadership. If it's Jesus' church, and you are Jesus' servant, why would you want to go to a church with a woman in leadership? Why would you want to? when it's contrary to what God clearly says. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church. First Timothy 2.12 It can't be any more clear. Now, here's the problem, Teresa. You've been so convinced by the world that you won't even allow God to establish the rules for the church that bears His name. If you will attend a church that permits a woman to in pastoral ministry, then you're in a church that is not in the will of God, that is not operating in the power of God's Spirit. It doesn't mean, Teresa, that women aren't capable. It just means that God made the rules, and as Christians who call Him Lord, we have to follow the rules. And what you just did, Teresa, is you accuse God of being a bigot. That's pretty heavy. You accuse God of being a bigot. He's the one who owns the church. He owns you. That means we got to do what he says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, Jesus said, and do not do what I say. Teresa, I would ask you why you are unwilling to allow God to set the rules in his own church. Thank you for the question. Thank you for listening to the program. Let's go to Seguin, our friend Ruben on line one. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
1: God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing, sir? Thank,
2: I'm doing well, Ruben. Thank you.
1: That's good. That's good. I have a question and then an observation, if I may. Um, I'm in Acts chapter three, which I just, I love the first three, four chapters. Just for me personally, it just, it gives me goosebumps. <laughs> I just love reading it. I, okay,
2: I'm with I'm with you there, Ruben. <laughs>
1: okay, in the beginning of chapter three, as we all know, uh, John and Peter are going to the church called Beautiful, and then the 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 the, the man is laid, laying there, and he looks at John Peter, and then he looks directly at Peter, and I find it very this is the observation on that. And there's another part of the scripture where I want to make an observation. He looks directly at him, and then Peter tells him, look at me. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, he was like, look, listen to me. I'm about to tell you something serious. <laughs> and, the, and the man looked at him. Although it doesn't tell us what context he, he said, look at me, because there are no exclamation points or nothing. He just said, look at me. But to me, mm-hmm. it's like, hey, man, look, I got something that's just going to blow your mind. <laughs> that <laughs> Just man, just wait till I tell you, man, and you're going to be blown away. And then, you know, he tells him, silver or gold, I have not, but what I have. Which is, oh, man, that's the part that just chills. Mm. I don't have money. I don't have gold. I can't send you to... You know, to the Bahamas, I can't set you to <laughs> Bora Bora, but boy, let me tell you something, son. I have something and I know somebody that, that could change your world, you know? And then he tells them, you know, baptize him in the name of Jesus and he will be healed. And he, he was healed. And that just blows my mind. And then the other observation,
2: uh, before you, Reuben, Reuben, before you go to the other one, let me let me respond to this for a moment because uh, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. And when when uh, you you point out what then Peter said, look at us. Uh, I, you know, it's like if there was a movie, there would be really suspenseful music right there, because I think two things. I think. That this this beggar, as you pointed out, was about to get something he couldn't imagine. But I think Peter was also going to get something. He had no idea this was going to happen. Peter hadn't done this kind of a miracle before. And this was Peter walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, walking past this beautiful gate that that he'd walked by. It was in the center of Jerusalem. It would have been uh, traffic. When Jesus was walking, he would have walked past this beggar in this gate many, many times. and And... Uh, all of a sudden he's walking by and the Holy Spirit speaks to his heart and says, him. And Peter would have thought, what? Tell him to get up and walk. And I think this took great faith. Peter looked at him and said, look at us. I think Peter secretly was hoping, what am I going to do if he doesn't get up? What am I going to do if he doesn't get up? And, uh, and I, I just absolutely love this passage of Scripture. So f- sorry for butting in, but I had to yeah, yeah. comment no, on that. No, that's
1: Okay. That's okay. I love your insights. I love it. Okay, and then later on in that same scripture, uh, I'm not too sure if they were at a church meeting or they were just at somebody's house, but Peter was all all amped up. He said, man, you should have been there, man. I prayed for this guy, and, you know, of course, I'm exaggerating. You know, (laughs) I'm exaggerating. (laughs) But, I mean, I I could imagine he was pumped because of what what Jesus had just done through him. And then the Bible says that there was not, There was no poor people there. There was no one begging. There was no one suffering. There was no one in need. And that struck me because the very next thing the Bible says was, and the reason why is because they were all in the same mindset. And then it said, if rich people had houses, they sold it and brought everything without being asked to sell, they brought everything to the church. If they had lands, they sold everything without being asked and brought it to the. Well, I don't know if it, like I said, I don't know if it was a church or or whatever meeting. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, "Reuben, you see how unified they were. Yeah. They didn't ask for for ties or offering or anything. People just gave freely. And look at what look at people were being healed." And, and miracles were happening right before their eyes because no one was arguing about, well, Sally got to sing last week, and I can't sing this week. I think yes, she's she Pastor's favorite. You know what I mean? There was there was none of that. There was none of that. It was all about Jesus. And I, I to me, that little insight was just something I wanted to throw in there. I mean, that's for me. That was my insight. And then the question mm-hmm. I had, John, because it says John was with Peter, this isn't John the Baptist, correct?
2: No, this is John the Apostle, John, uh, John the Beloved.
1: Okay, okay. Just wanted to get it straight, but that's all I had.
2: Thank you, Reuben. God bless you. You know, uh, I, I love that passage. What, what Reuben was referring to uh, with that second part of the question was uh, Acts chapter 4, the end of Acts chapter 4. And and when you understand what was going on. Now, remember at this point, the church was entirely Jewish converts. 3,000 the very first day of the church. A couple of days later, another 5,000. And now, as all these people come together. In in Jesus' time, Jews hated Gentiles. Jews hated the idea. that that Samaritans might have any part to do with God. But now this was even worse because they really hated the Jews that were converting to Christ. And they they would hold funerals for them. Families would hold funerals. You're dead to me kind of thing. And they were all on their own. And so in the church of Jesus Christ at the beginning, there was a whole bunch of people that were completely on their own. And they would gather together. That's why you see such large crowds of believers. They had nowhere else to go. And they needed one another. They depended on one another. And the Holy Spirit was moving so powerfully. It started with Barnabas. His name means consolation or the son of consolation. And, and he sold some property. he had, And he just came back and he laid it at the feet of the apostles. And then other people saw. And you can imagine what it was like for the people there, the new believers who'd been cast out by their own family members to suddenly see that God really was going to take care of them. As heartbreaking as it was to be cast out of your family, God really was going to take care of them. Now this is not, I had a question a a week ago about whether or not this is a a socialist economy and that's what God favors. No, this was a commentary only on love. The truth is that they couldn't bear to see another believer in need if they themselves had the opportunity to provide for that need. And that's exactly what they did. They took care of one another. And that really, Reuben, is what the picture of the church is supposed to be like, even to this very day. The book of Acts sets the tone for what church is, how church should function, and certainly how Christians should love. And that love was the source, the single source of that unity in the first century church was first the love of God in them and then that same love of God flowing from them. And that's what they did. Now, one other comment, we're just about ready to get done with this first half of the program, Um, that also provided an opportunity for the devil to attack the church from within And that was when Ananias and Sapphira saw how they responded to Barnabas and they thought, well, people need to think about us like this. And so they tried to make a deal. Okay, we'll give them half of what our stuff is and we'll tell them we gave everything. And, of course, we know how that turned out for Ananias and Sapphira. Peter said, why have you lied to God? You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And, of course, they were struck dead because that's how God views hypocrisy in the church. Ruben, you're absolutely right. That's the way church should be run. The people aren't here for us. We're here for the people. Thank you. I appreciate that call. Hey, we would love this flow of calls to continue. Uh, 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes.
0: We are AM 630.
1: The Word.
0: word Welcome back to The Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340 9585 or toll free 877 630 KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show, 340-9585. Here's a good question from Nacho, our email inbox. He says, it seems that there are degrees of punishment in hell. People who are to be judged in the last day, will their sins be judged by a cumulative count of their sins? Or will they be judged by their worst sin or by the degree of severity of their sin? Not you, a couple of things. One, remember that all sin, any trace of sin, condemns us to eternal punishment. Any, any unforgiven sin. That's why Jesus is so important. Uh, any unforgiven sin condemns you to hell. Now, here's the reality. Jesus talks in his perils. Out. Some will be beaten with many blows and some with few blows. There are different degrees of sin and the consequences of sin. Uh, for example... Um, um, Jesus said that if you uh, call somebody a fool, raka, um, then you're guilty of murder. But obviously people don't really die when you call them a fool. If you really killed them, they die. So that's a worse sin with a different judgment. Uh, it's also true. Paul talks about sexual sins, um, are, are being particularly severe, Uh, anyone who sins sins against uh, uh, anyone who sins sexually says, sins against his own body the temple of the Holy Spirit so that opens us up to greater demonic influence but also it opens us up to greater punishment so their sins are going to be judged we know justly by God and some will be judged and suffer greatly I mean infinitely worse than others but but having said that all hell and all judgment is going to be terrible. Now, here's what I think is going to be the deciding factor. It's not the cumulative nature of their sin so much as it is the severity of their sin, but also the intent of their heart. For example, Cain was warned by God himself about what he was about to do with his brother Abel. Cain's judgment forever and ever having been warned by God is going to be intense premeditated murder it's going to be intense people like Hitler Nero the ISIS people that chopped off the heads of the Coptic Christians in Egypt there is going to be judgment sin so severely judged it'll be forever and ever And other times, there's just going to be some really nice people from a worldly perspective who wouldn't receive Jesus Christ, but they were pretty good people. They didn't bother people. They're still separated from God. So the degree of their punishment is going to be less. So, Nacho, that's a good question, but uh, Jesus talks about that quite frequently. Here is our next question. This one comes from... Anonymous from our email inbox, Pastor on, can a pastor forgive the sins of his congregation by the authority given by God? And if so, where can I reference this? I haven't been able to find it. I believe confessing and then asking for and receiving forgiveness is a very solemn time between myself and God. Uh, and then he's got another note. I'll deal with that in a moment anonymous, yes, a pastor can forgive the sins of his congregation, but it's because of the the authority given to the message that we have. John chapter 20, verse 23, uh, Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now, we can't do that. It's not like that I can confer forgiveness on somebody, but here's what I can do. And I do this on uh, every time I'm, I'm preaching. Um, uh, at the end of my message, if I invite somebody in, I can say, I offer you forgiveness of sins. But in order for that to be a legitimate offer, they've got to receive the message of forgiveness. And by that, it's, of course, Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. So if somebody says, I've surrendered my heart to Jesus Christ, I then can declare them uh, forgiven. I can declare their sins Um, uh, as far from them as east is from west, if they were sincere, then I can say, you are forgiven. Welcome to the family of God. If somebody says, well, you know, I just don't think I should have to believe in Jesus. I can say, well, you have that free will. You have that right. However, if you reject Jesus Christ, then I declare your sins are not forgiven and you're going to stand before God in judgment for every sin you've ever committed. In fact, yesterday in the message, I don't know which service it was, but but in one of our services, I made that very, very point. I said, you know, you can leave here forgiven, or you can leave here condemned, and the choice is yours. And it's not because I, the pastor, has any special uh, authority to forgive sins. It's just based on whether or not they receive the message that we're communicating. So that's what it is. One of the things, uh, Anonymous, that just drove me crazy, and I'm going back now quite a ways, in 9-11 there was a Catholic priest who was absolving all the people. Even as they fell out of buildings and, and, and were dying, he was running away in terror, absolving them of their sins. He has no such authority to do so unless he knows for sure they accepted the message. Now the Catholic priest wouldn't know what the message is. But that's the point. So, yes, the pastor can do this. Then he says, on another note, can you recommend a good source for learning about the beliefs of different religions? Thank you so much. And what you say is true. Loving my Jesus and loving my Bible go hand in hand. God bless you for that. Um, At the end of our radio program, our teaching programs, uh, Pastor Ken's wife, May, the last thing she says before we sign off she says, "Fall in love with your Bible, and you will fall in love with Jesus." And it's important because the Bible tells us who Jesus is. So I appreciate that more than you know. Now, recommending a good source for learning about the beliefs of different religions. There is no good book. There's 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 really no real value to learning. Jesus said to be wise about that which is is e- or a, a good and simple about that which is evil. All you need to know about other religions is that they're false. They deny Jesus Christ as the Son of God and God the Son. They deny that he was uh, crucified and risen from the dead. And so, frankly, anonymous, they have no value. Now, if the reason you want to learn about them is uh, so that you can be an apologist, um, be really careful. That's tough, tough ground um i've just never found it necessary to dig into that which is false, and uh there's plenty of information out there um, I would read if I were you um, uh, christian material um there's plenty out there if you if you look apologists uh, uh, regarding other religions you 'll get a lot of responses um, there are cults um, Jehovah's witnesses mormons um uh, Kingdom of the Cults is the old classic by Walter Martin. Uh, but there are just lots and lots of information out there. I just don't think it's a good source for learning about what other religions. I just don't see any value uh, of learning about what other religions. It's just real simple. Our message is Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And Anonymous, if the Holy Spirit has prepared that heart, uh, it, it doesn't matter if you know anything at all about their religion. So, focus on what is true, what is real. You keep falling in love with your Bible, you keep loving Jesus more, and believe me, He's going to provide many opportunities, many divine appointments for you to, uh, to share the truth of Jesus Christ with them. Good questions. Thank you very, very much for that. Here is a question from Chuck. Uh, I've heard you say that no one can see God and live, but Moses spoke with God face to face. Both can't be true, so how do you explain Exodus 33? Exodus 33 is one of the great chapters in the Bible. I love Moses. Um, Moses, after speaking with God face to face, um, he wanted to know more. He wanted to know, God, show me your glory. And I think God chuckled and said, No, no one can see my glory and live. Uh, and then he put him. Remember, he put him in the back of a of a of a cave, and then he just let the backside of his glory pass by, and even that caused Moses' face to 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 shine. Um, but 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 he couldn't see God face to face. Now here's what he did, and this is where we have to read carefully. Moses spoke with God as a man speaks to a man face to face as a man speaks to man face to face. In other words, if Moses was in this room with me and he and I were talking, we'd be looking at each other and that's how we would be speaking. But if it was God, Moses would be talking to him the same way, but unable to see God's face. In the Old Testament, Chuck, time you see somebody speaking to God, Abraham spoke to God, uh, Gideon's Uh, Gideon spoke to God Samson's parents spoke to God Uh, there are other examples of people Jacob actually wrestled with God but in each of those times they were actually talking to or wrestling with Jesus and the only way that we can see the glory of God the fullness of God is through the person of Jesus Christ great question Chuck thank you very very much Drew asks, how should we view believers who seem to continue sinning and struggling for a very long time? Are they saved or not? Drew, that's a judgment we can't make. Now, here's what I do when I encounter people uh, who continue to sin and they claim to be a Christian. I I will identify their sin. Usually they'll tell me because that's what the conversation is about. And then I'll go to first Corinthians 6 or Galatians chapter 5 and say people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then I'll turn it to them and say okay what makes you think you're saved? Well I got baptized or I go to church or I was raised in a Christian home. Yeah, but have you met Jesus? And see that's why those passages are so important because there's no way the Holy Spirit would ever make anybody who is living in willful rebellion against God comfortable. Or secure, feeling secure that they're saved. So it's not necessary for you to judge them. It's not necessary even for you to know whether they're saved or not. You just, Drew, present the evidence to them. You just say, if somebody, for example, is living with a, a, a girlfriend or a girl with a boyfriend, and they're, they're physically involved, they're sexually involved, it's easy to say, people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And they'll say, well, you're judging me. No, no. Here it says right here, Galatians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And let them struggle with Jesus. Let them wrestle with him. It's not you telling them. It's the word of God telling them. Now, here's what you need to do, Drew. When you know somebody who claims to be a Christian, they've been struggling for a long time with sin, then your responsibility is to pray for them. Tell them the truth in love. Do what I suggested earlier, but then pray for them. I usually pray something like this, Lord, you know whether they're yours or not. But here's what I know, Jesus. You take every profession of faith seriously. And you love him or you love her. And so, Jesus, please draw them to you at that moment where they surrender their heart to you. That's our only response. We don't have to have a view on them at all other than telling them the truth in love and then praying for them. So, Drew, hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Hope says, I have a question about the validity of Deliverance Ministries. Can I have your thoughts, please? Um, hope, I, I, the question about the validity of deliverance ministries, that's discernment. That's the Holy Spirit. This is one of the things that drives me crazy because Christians who otherwise think pretty logically, they'll go in and say, well, I need to be delivered from this demon or from this problem or from lust. I need to be delivered from this. Why won't God deliver me? And I've had people go to to ministries that claim to be able to deliver them from that. Here's my thought. My thought is we've already been delivered from all of those things. We were delivered the moment Jesus said, it is finished. We don't have to be re-delivered when we've already been delivered, and that delivery is by God himself. So these are false ministries. These are false teachers. They do way more damage than good. And you know what? It just doesn't work because it's not real. I had a question face-to-face the other day about generational curses. And, and I just said, I don't think anything about them. They're, they're not true. And yet these kinds of things continue to thrive in so-called Christian churches. And false teachers keep highlighting them. Uh, hope, listen to your spirit. That's discernment. These are not real Christian ministries. Now, I am not suggesting that the people aren't real Christians. But I will say this very boldly, those people are going to stand before the Lord, and they're going to be asked, why didn't you believe me? My Bible study this coming Sunday is, is uh, Jesus said, why do you have no faith? And that's what's going to happen with these false teachers. They're promoting deliverance ministries. They're binding the devil, and they're casting out these demons. Jesus is going to say, why didn't you have faith? Why didn't you believe I've delivered you from these things? Once and for all, we've been delivered from the things in this world. If those things are still plaguing you, sin is still plaguing you, that's on you. That's not on God. O ye of little faith, Jesus says over and over and over. Davy says, how did Satan become the ruler of this world? Um, David, he is called the little G-God of this world. He's he's truly sort of in charge of things. Now, we have to remember that God keeps him on a short leash. Satan can't do anything that God won't let him do. But he became the ruler of the world, or the little G-God of this world, uh, when Adam handed over dominion that God gave him to the devil himself. And Adam did that by being disobedient, by, by being refusing to, to do what God told him to do. God gave dominion to Adam. Adam gave it to Satan. The book of Revelation, when the scroll was open and there was no one found worthy, or the scroll was, was, was brought forward and there was no one worthy found worthy to open the scroll, and John began crying from, from a depth of pain. Because it was nobody found worthy. In other words, what he was saying was it looked like this title deed to the earth was going to remain in the hands of Satan. And then he said, no, there's the one. The lion of the tribe of Judah is coming forth. And he's the one who's going to come and again regain control over this world. Remember, God is sovereign. Satan is his servant. Not not a willing servant, but Satan is his servant. And God keeps Satan on a leash. Good question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll free 877-630-KSLR. This is a question from Philip. Philip. He said, "Pastor, you personally seem satisfied with your life and walk with Jesus. How do you know if you're really satisfied?" I think I understand your question, um Philip, and and I will I will say I'm I'm um, I'm thrilled with my life. Um I want to be more like Jesus every day. I want to love Jesus more every day. But uh, I I can sit here before you today a man who is absolutely in love with Jesus, absolutely in love with my wife, absolutely in love with my calling and with my church. I mean, I am more than satisfied because what God has permitted me to do is is beyond anything that I've ever imagined beyond anything that I could possibly deserve. And he's done it because he loves me. So, of course, I'm satisfied. And Philip, honestly, I don't know how any Christian wouldn't be satisfied with their life and walk with Jesus unless they weren't really walking with Jesus. I say all the time, just be with Jesus. In his presence, that's where satisfaction comes because that's the abundant life Jesus provided. And so... I'm, I'm thrilled. I, th- I think it would be a lack of faith if I wasn't satisfied. I think it would sort of make me a, a, a cynic or a, a critic. Um, when in fact, the more I know about Jesus, the more thrilled I am. And the more um, opportunity he gives me to share his goodness, um, the more satisfied I really am. So I I guess that's what your question is, Philip. But uh, I appreciate you taking note that I'm personally satisfied. Uh, That's exactly the message that I want to convey to people who don't know Jesus. I want people, unbelievers, to to be able to look at my life and say, hey, there's something that you have or something that you know that I need. And when that happens, um, we're in a good place. We're in a good place. Thank you for that. Donald says, and this is kind of a similar question: What is the secret to being content in and with life? Um, Donald, the secret is being with Jesus. It's it's really that straightforward. It's not any more complicated than that. It's just being with Jesus. In His presence is the fullness of joy. Uh, being content um, is is uh, a, a product of being humble. Um, you know, I shared with my church yesterday that I still stand in awe of the fact that I'm forgiven. I stand in awe of the fact that I'm forgiven. Let me let me share this with you. I shared it with our pastor's discipleship class on Saturday. Uh, Paula was going through uh, some stuff at our house and and uh, she brought out some notebooks. She said she said, "Oh, I found some of your old prayer journals," and and I said, "I I've never journaled." And she goes, "Well, apparently you did." And she handed me a couple of notebooks, and um, um, I, from from 1992. I mean, I'm I'm just a little over a year in the Lord at this time, and and some of those prayers. and, and I was so aware of my own sinfulness. I was so aware of God's goodness. I was aware of just how much I deserved hell, but was in awe of the fact that that I actually was saved, that God actually wanted me to be in heaven. And, um, uh, you know, just a year and a half in the Lord, um, just the beautiful simplicity of my life back then, and my life was falling apart then. I'd come to Jesus, I loved him, but the consequences of my sins were bearing down on me, and and yet my heart was so for Jesus. That's what comes from a content and a grateful heart. So Donald, that is the secret of being content. Paul said, by the way, it is a secret, it doesn't come natural. And the more time that we spend with the Lord, uh, the more we let him have his way in our lives, um... I think the more content we become. And I wouldn't trade my life for anything at all. So I think that's a secret. I think what Paul really meant to say, Donald, was just be with Jesus. I've got time for one more question. This one is from Martine. And he says, do you have a Spanish ministry? And do you think it's important to have one? I wonder why you would ask if it's important to have one. Of course, it's important to have one, Martine. Uh, if you're going to a church that doesn't have one uh, in the place that we live, you're you're missing out on people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, yes, we do have a Spanish ministry. Actually, our Spanish ministry, Martine, you can watch it live stream, uh, or you can join uh, the, the group. It's at uh, 5 o'clock every Sunday afternoon. Um, uh, Ed Rodriguez uh, is our Spanish teacher. Uh, And you love the people, so they meet here in the sanctuary at 5 o'clock. And it can be live-streamed at calvarysa.com every Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock. And um, I I just love the fact that that we're reaching out to people. I I wish we could have a, a ministry with all kinds of different languages. But yes, it's absolutely important to have a Spanish ministry, and we do and we do. Uh Ed has not been our teacher for the longest time. I guess a little over a year now he's been teaching. Uh the other pastor, uh Pastor Chris Garcia, um he's gone to Michoacan, Mexico and uh he planted a church there. He's one of my best friends in the world and and truly one of the godliest men I know. Um, so if you can think about it Martin Pray for Pastor Chris, his wife, Elvira Garcia, and they're in Michoacan, Mexico. So lots and lots of fruit. Lots and lots of fruit from the Spanish ministry. The Bible sounds so much more regal in Spanish. Okay, that's it. Thank you very, very much. Well, I got one minute. Don't have time for one more question. So let me remind you again tonight here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. We have our men's, women's and youth high school age and junior high school uh, Bible studies tonight at seven o'clock. Ladies, you can live stream the, the, the ladies study at uh, CalvarySA.com. but it's always better to be here and we've got room so um, enjoy make it a family affair you will be blessed I promise you that So lots of questions been sent in we'd love to, to get more and we'd love to wait for tomorrow have your phone calls may the Lord bless you and keep you I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas may the Lord bless you and keep you Lord willing I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM six thirty, the Word. We'll see you then.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the Word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at four, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.
1: Yeah.